Welcome to Plodcast, episode 40. Um, great to have you. Thanks for coming. So I want to begin by talking about uh, climate change and the government, or as we pronounce it here in Idaho, the gummint. Uh, G-U-M-M-I-N-T, the gummint. So um, one of the things that happens when, a dis- when disaster um, falls on a people, either a disaster that is manifestly a disaster, a real disaster, or um, an, an alleged disaster where someone is warning, trying to warn everybody about a, a pending disaster. If people believe the warning, then what they do is they call out to their gods. If, um, if someone proved that an asteroid was headed toward Earth, and, it, and this asteroid was the size of Kansas, and it was going to hit Kansas, um, what would happen is everybody, you know, with the shock of this news, everybody would start appealing to their god or gods, gods, goddesses, whatever their, um, whatever their idol is, or if they are servants of the true god, they would get right with God. We had a we had an example of this when uh, uh, the false uh, false alarm missile attack happened in Hawaii. You know, Christians responded very differently when Christians um, would get together and pray and sing and you know sing psalms and that that's a Christian response. And then you had the the other end. You know porn use and you know, all kinds of crazy things. People, you know, people saying, oh, I'm going to die. Uh, how, how am I going to check out? Well, uh, your reflex action, your reflex appeal, your, your reflex prayer is going to go to your God. What, what God, what is the God of the system? And when someone, uh, that, that's, that's a natural human tendency. It is also a natural human tendency when an entity is aspiring to become your god, uh, they can cook up a disaster that they can save you from. And that's the situation that we have with climate change. Uh, climate change is, has been pitched to us for a good half generation uh, as... Uh, the end of the planet as we know it. We have five years to act, let's say, or within a, within a specified period of time, there will be no more polar ice, ice caps. There will be no more uh, coastal cities because they'll be underwater or there'll be no more icebergs. There'll be no, you know, disaster is coming, disaster is coming. Now, the, this disaster is always accompanied with a sales pitch. Now, if someone said, um, <laughs> you know, suppose uh, a prophet came into a major city and he said the equivalent of yet 40 days in the city will be destroyed. And, and the people naturally, if they believe him, they'll say, what should we do? Um, well, Jonah wasn't about to tell the Ninevites what to do because he, di- he didn't want them to repent. But let's say we've got a, a prophet with a better attitude. He could say, um, if, if he's predicting a judgment from God, he could say, repent, you know, turn from your sins, repent of your sins, cry out to God, 
perhaps he will have mercy on you. If he is a secular prophet, let's say he does, he's, not, uh, he's simply a scientist in a lab coat telling you about the asteroid, um, and everybody stares at him flummoxed when he gives the news, the next question is, can we do anything? Um, what can we do? Um, and who, to whom can we make the appeal? If he's just telling you about a natural disaster, the volcano is going to blow, or California is going to have the big earthquake, he's just he's just the messenger, and he can say, you know, you can evacuate while there's time, or you know, he's going to give you some sort of secular plan to follow. If you have an entity that is aspiring to the role of deity, that entity, when when confronted with the question, what shall we do? What can we do? Your sermon has pierced us to the heart. What can we do? The answer is always going to be, give me all the power. I can save you if you give me all, <laughs> give me all your passwords, give me all your money, give me all your uh, savings, give me everything, and I will save you. Now, if the threat is, shall we say, a made-up one, in other words, if climate change is not a real thing, unlike an asteroid, when you know if you're if you're predicting everybody, telling everybody the asteroid's going to hit, and we're all going to die unless you give all the, your power and wealth and stuff to the government. After three months of, after having done that, after three months, somebody's going to say, "Hey." Where's the asteroid? We didn't see you deflect the asteroid. You didn't do anything, and you've got all you've got all our stuff. You've got all our money. Um, with something like the weather, right? with something like climate, there are all sorts of things that people can pretend to be doing, and they have assumed that you know they there never was a real threat. It never was going to happen in the first place, and. Then you turn, you relinquish your freedoms, you relinquish your liberties, you relinquish your money, you accept the new um, uh, burdensome uh, restrictions, and you overlook the fact that everybody got everybody in this has got an angle. Everybody's got an angle. I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an illustration. Um, this isn't the government. This is your. This is the last hotel you stayed at, probably. So, um, you stay in the hotel, and there's a little cardboard thingy that's in, there in the uh, bathroom, with a cute picture of a koala bear on it, and it says, "Together we can save the koala bear. T together we can save the environment. What what can we do? What what sacrifice can we uh, the the hotel?" customer do? Well, you can let us um, not wash your towels. Yeah, so, so uh, now what do I mean by everybody's got an angle? Well, when the, when the hotel has to wash your towels, that's, they have to pay for the dish soap, right? They, they have to pay for the, not the dish soap, they have to pay for the detergent. They have to pay for the staff washing the towels. They've got to, there's an economic calculation in this for them, and they are appealing to the environment, and you need to look at that and say, they are saying this because they don't want to wash my towels. Well, it's the same sort of thing when the government is saying, um, 
here, uh, I'll tell you what let's do. Let, let's uh, save you from this disaster called climate change. Ten years later, all the failed prophecies are, because they're not as discrete or identifiable as the asteroid that never showed up, it's, you're talking about the weather, right? You're talking about uh, something that's spread out over years. If you have um, a threat that's diffused, it's global, it's everywhere, there are millions of actors, you can steer the story in pretty much any direction you want. But 10 years later, when it's all said and done, nobody's going to be able to, nobody's going to be in a position to say, hey, give us our money back, give us our rights back, give us our, you know, it's just not going to happen that way. So, uh, so for example, uh, someone might say, well, don't you believe that it isn't it at least hypothetically possible that uh, the climate might be changing, that CO2 might be having this uh, bad effect on everything? Uh, yeah, that's possible. But I'd be much more inclined to believe it if the president said, you know, we really have to cut C Let's say the president got on the horn and got on the television uh, set and gave an address to the American people, and he said something like, um, climate change is a real pressing threat. If we don't act now, we are going to, we are all going to perish. Consequently, I have ordered uh, the reduction of government by three quarters. Um, this is an emergency. If we don't if we don't pull out of this, we don't need a big government anyway because we're all going to be dead in two years. So I'm going to trust the free market to provide solutions to this terrible crisis. Everybody go. Don't pay your taxes this year. We're gonna we're gonna cut. <laughs> I'm day I'm daydreaming now, but um, uh, slash taxes, shutter all the programs, shut it all down. Um, because he is he is doing something that doesn't have an obvious payout for him and his program or his position or his office. Um, I'd be more inclined to believe the message if it's not followed up immediately with a sales pitch. So always keep that in mind. So here we are, episode 40 on the podcast. Um, again, thanks for coming. Uh, my book review this time is uh, A Preface to Paradise Lost by C.S. Lewis. This is a, it's a hard thing for me to talk about Lewis. It's easy in one way and, and difficult in another. Uh, I, I was um, brought up on Lewis's Narnia stories. Uh, I think my dad was reading, reading them to me, I, the first one when I was five, so that would have been 1958. I think the, I think the books were still coming out. Um, so in, I, we were in on the ground floor, right? So I grew up um, on Narnia. And then when I was in high school, I started reading some of uh, Lewis's apologetic works, um, Mere Christianity, things like that, um, and learned some things early on. And then later on, I began to work my way through his, uh, his other uh, books. And then in recent years, I've, uh, with my acquisition of, um, I start, started using Audible, and I've got a, a Bluetooth system in my truck, and I've been listening to books, and I've been reading 
reading Lewis books on my uh, Logos Bible software uh, app in the morning and listening to Lewis books and and then reading regular paper and ink uh, Lewis books. Uh, it'd be safe to say over the last five years or so, I've um, been revisiting Lewis in a major way. So, and and when I read through, when I read through some of these books again that I read as a young adult or read many many years ago, um, I have this experience often of thinking something like, "Oh, that's where I learned that. Oh, that's okay. That's it." So my my debt to Lewis is enormous, and Lewis is stupendous sort of in every subject he touches, whether it's literary criticism or it's uh, theology or apologetics or um, uh, fantasy. I, he's always edifying, always, even when he's saying things that appall me that, that I disagree with, like uh, probably the most pronounced book in that regard is Reflections on the Psalms. Even when he's saying things that appall me, I'm still, uh, I'm still frequently edified. Well, Preface to Paradise Lost is his uh, introduction to Milton's great uh, work, Paradise Lost. Um, and you might think, oh, it's just a piece of literary uh, criticism where he's digging into uh, Milton. And that's true. That's, that's what the book is about. But I think it would be better to say, safer to say, that the book is actually about, or the, the, the theme throughout the book is hierarchy. In, in Preface to Paradise Lost, uh, Lewis is echoing something that he agrees with Milton on, he, and which he agrees with Dante on as well, and that is uh, their anti-egalitarian assumption. Their, uh, Lewis somewhere called himself Old Western Man, uh, meaning he's not a modern Democrat, small d Democrat. He's not an egalitarian. He's not a leveler. And in Preface to Paradise Lost, there is a magnificent description of and defense of this older Christian way of seeing. Um, Milton inherited the Christian uh, assumptions about hierarchy, um, as did Shakespeare. Um, uh, Ulysses in the uh, Shakespeare play, where he calls the leveling impulse, the universal wolf. Uh, Lewis is hostile to that kind of thought, that kind of intellectual rot. And he, if, if you want to read a book, study a book that will open up a different part of your head uh, and suggest to you a different way of living, a different way of thinking about your parents, a different way of thinking about your wife, or a different way of thinking about your husband, or about your children, or about your pastor and your elders. Um, Lewis, Lewis provides in this book a, a winsome uh, introduction to hierarchical living that's not tyrannical, that's not um, oppressive, that's not suffocating. And he's not doing it directly. He's, he's doing it uh, in the course of his discussion of Paradise Lost. Very great book, uh, wonderful um, book, one of, my, uh, one of my favorites by Lewis. And, uh, and so I commend it to you.
So again, we are all amateur hamartiologists, and so let's go on to the next word. Uh, God created us as reasonable creatures. To adopt rationalism is to make an idol out of reason. But for all that, we should still seek to be reasonable. Uh, we don't want to be rationalists, but we should want to be reasonable. The word alagos, um, so um, there's an alpha privative uh, in, in Greek. If you put an A in the front of a word, um, it negates it. So a theist believes in God, an atheist does not. Uh, uh, Gnostic is someone who claims to have knowledge, and agnostic is someone who claims to have no knowledge. Alagos um, is, um, uh, represents failure at this particular place. Uh, alaga, alagos means unreasonable. In one place, it's translated as unreasonable. That's in Acts 25, 27. This is in the mouth of the pagan Festus while speaking to Agrippa. He thought it unreasonable to send a prisoner onto a higher court without specifying the charges against him meaning that Festus appears to have had a better sense of justice than many Christians on the Internet do. The same, the same word is translated as brute in, in two other places to much the same effect. Speaking of bloated false teachers, Peter says, but these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not. That's 2 Peter 2.12. The Jude passage is very close to this. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. That's Jude verse 10. In short, sin persisted in destroys a man's capacity to make sense out of the world around him. And whatever things are left, whatever things he still pursues, He's pursuing by instinct as a brute beast, as an unreasonable beast, as an irrational beast. So being reasonable in this sense is a moral issue. Being reasonable is a moral issue. Right reason is not, it's, it's not the case that, uh, that reason simply occupies itself with P's and Q's and legitimate inferences. Uh, reason has an ethical component. Uh, uh, right reason... Uh, natural reason tells us not just uh, what is going on across the street. This, you know, when we're looking at what's happening there, uh, it also tells us what we ought to do about what's going on across the street. God in the time of the sickness. God in the You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.